listening to a Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. We hope this podcast will provide messages of hope and resilience to those in the myeloma community and beyond. Today, we're talking to Baltimore-area businesswoman Bonnie Downing, who was diagnosed with multiple myeloma in 2001, just one day after the Christmas holiday. To begin, Bonnie, having been diagnosed about 20 years ago now, if you can recall for us, how did you react to the diagnosis at that time back in 2001? Well, it was strange. That's, that's the best word I, I can use to describe it. You know, I had been feeling sick. I had been tired a lot. I had a really fast-paced job. I was traveling all the time. It didn't dawn on me that something was really wrong because I was tired. I just thought it was t- I was tired because... You know, I had this brand new job traveling back and forth from Baltimore to LA and back. Just really time consuming, working late at night. It's a really busy time. My back started to hurt. But again, you know, you're thinking you're not sleeping well, you're not taking care of yourself. And on top of everything, I was going through a divorce. So I didn't think that that there was something terribly wrong with my health. But I did go to my primary care physician because I started to lose weight, which was odd. So I told him, you know, I'm losing weight, you know, I think maybe something's going on. He referred me to an oncologist um, who diagnosed me with multiple myeloma, a disease that I had never heard of, didn't know what it was, didn't know what it meant, all of that. So at the time, as you mentioned, you were going through a lot of different changes in your life. How did the myeloma diagnosis affect your personal relationships and your career development? Well, My personal relationships, you know, it's funny. When things happen to you, your crew comes together to kind of take care of you. When I was first diagnosed, because I hadn't heard of multiple myeloma, didn't know what it was, my friend Tony Harris, who was uh, a news anchor for the Fox station here in Baltimore, he went to work. He went online and he found all this information about multiple myeloma. But the thing that threw us the most was, You get this illness, and the average life expectancy at that time was three to five years. Also, that it was more common among people late in their 70s, and I was nowhere near that. So we were a little confused about how I got it, but my crew really came together. My family came together to help me. My brother was taking me to and from doctor's appointments. My brother and my oldest niece were at in the room when we were referred to Dr. Badros from the University of Maryland Medical Center. And, you know, he had mentioned, you know, good myeloma versus bad myeloma. And I remember saying to him, bad myeloma, isn't that an oxymoron? And he said, yes, it is. But if you have bad myeloma, the prognosis isn't good. And I said, what's the prognosis? And he said, with bad myeloma, the prognosis could mean six to nine months. And I thought, wow, this is January. I'm not going to make it to my birthday in, in, in September. So it really, again, a lot of confusion, a lot of not knowing what it was, and just having my family and friends come together to make sure that I was getting the best care and trying to find out what this illness was going to do to me. Wow. From a nine-month prognosis to 20 years of survival, what treatment regimens have you undergone during this time that you can recall that you'd like to share with us? That weekend, again, I was diagnosed the day after Christmas, and I saw Dr. Badros. I was referred to him, and I saw him maybe two days later, and he admitted me right away. That's how sick I was. He saw me, met me, saw my blood, my lab, and admitted me that weekend. 
And during that weekend, I got some a little chemo. I got some blood transfusions and rounds of steroids. And I thought, when I left the hospital on New Year's Eve, I thought, okay, I feel so much better. I have energy. This is great. Little did I know that was only the beginning of what was to come. I thought maybe, okay, well, that's all I have to do. And it really was a lot more than that. I did rounds of high-dose chemo followed by a stem cell transplant in April 2002. And I I was an inpatient at University of Maryland Medical Center for five weeks. Even prior to that, I didn't have a stem cell donor, a family member that could step up and give me their stem cells. So I was my own donor. So there was a series of times when I had to go to the hospital and be hooked up to a machine that would allow them to harvest my own stem cells from my body. They harvested them and froze them, treated them, and infused them back into my body. That was my stem cell transplant. And what that did was, followed by with the high-dose chemo and the stem cell transplant, that made me about as sick as one person could be. I mean, I had no white blood count. I had no, my red blood count, all my numbers were really low. I couldn't really do anything for myself, and that's why I stayed in the hospital for, for so long. There were also rounds of meds that I had to take to get ready for that particular stem cell transplant. I don't remember all the names, but it was a lot of, again, just getting ready, getting my body ready for what was to come. And today, are you on any maintenance therapy? I am right now. I am on a couple of drugs, one of them being Cymbalta. Cymbalta is better known as a drug that folks will take that battle depression. And my specialist found that it helps with neuropathy. Neuropathy is the condition that's caused by medications and, and you get numbness in your fingers and toes. And when I was in the Cymbalta, it helps with that. I don't. I no longer have the numbness in my fingers, but I do still have some in my toes, particularly at night. But, you know, I go to bed early, so it doesn't bother me too much. It was really severe for a while, which is why he put me on the Cymbalta. But other than that, I'm taking potassium, which is a normal, something normal in your body, but mine is typically low. So I'm not taking any cancer drugs right now. So you're in a remission then? Yes, I am in complete remission now. After my stem cell transplant, I went into near complete remission. And the stem cell transplant did not get me to complete remission. What my doctor did was he put me on a some medication. It was dexamethasone and thalidomide. Dexamethasone is a very strong steroid. And thalidomide and the combination is part of a clinical trial, or it was in 2002, and that's when I went into complete remission. And I've been there. I have not had a relapse at all in my treatment so or in my condition. So I've been in complete rem- near complete remission for a couple of years, and then 2005 to now 2021, I've been in complete remission. That's fantastic. To shift gears a little bit, you've been very involved with this organization. How did you become in contact with the International Myeloma Foundation? Through my specialist, the gentleman that I met just before New Year's Eve in 2001, Dr. Badros. I listen to everything he, he tells me to do. Whatever he tells me to do, I do it. 
except for my love of Popeye's. You know, he hates that I go to Popeye's, but <laughs> I love Popeye's. So if I could just get rid of that habit, I'll be okay. But I followed all of his directions, all of his instructions. He's been very active with my medical care. He's got a lot of patients at University of Maryland, but, you know, we've known each other for 20 years now. And, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where now I can just text him or send him an email and he'll get right back to me. We've developed a wonderful patient-doctor or doctor-patient relationship. So I just listen to what he he tells me, and I do it. And he was the reason I got involved with IMF. He had reached out to me to ask me if I would talk to the organization about what happened with me and my journey with cancer and multiple myeloma. And I said, yes, and here I am today. Fantastic. And I know you have are a positive force for others in the myeloma community, and you have what you call three messages for those who are living with myeloma. Can you share those with us and a little bit about what each of those messages mean? Sure. The main one I want to share is the message of hope. When I was diagnosed, Dr. Badros didn't diagnosed me. It was another oncologist here in Carroll County, Maryland, that my primary care physician sent me to. He was the one that did the very first bone marrow biopsy. And he was supposed to call me on Christmas Eve, or his office was, to tell me the results. So I didn't get a call on Christmas Eve. And I thought, okay, well, everything must be fine. They didn't call me. Um, The day after Christmas, I was at work. And I got a call from his office that I needed to come to his office right away. So I drove from downtown Baltimore to Carroll County, Maryland. And he came in the room and he said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you have multiple myeloma. And I'm going to leave you here to digest that information. And he walked out and Keep in mind, I was by myself because I was at work that day and I just thought it was going to be some sort of normal doctor's appointment. And he left me there and I said, what did he just say? Because he also used the word malignant. And, you know, I've lost both my parents to cancer and I knew what malignant meant, but I didn't get upset or anything. I just didn't understand what he told me because I'd never heard of multiple myeloma before. So when he came back in the room, I started asking these questions. And I'll never forget it. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, those who have hope do the best. And I said, okay. And he was the one who referred me to Dr. Badros at University of Maryland. He said, we're really lucky. We have a specialist here in Baltimore at University of Maryland. I'm going to get you an appointment right away to go and see him. But I'm going to that message of hope. And it became my mantra, you know, just the word hope on, in, in various places around my home. I have a hope placard on one of my bookshelves here in my office. I have the words, the letters spelled out on my bookcase downstairs in my family room. And Dr. Badros had asked me to come and speak to some of the docs and nurses and being a patient that it was doing some, so well. So what I did was I got a friend of mine that owns a screen printing service here in Baltimore. He made some t-shirts for me. I said, I want black shirts with the white lettering with the word hope across it. And he made those for me and I gave them to all the docs, nurses, techs, all the folks that work down at University of Maryland or on the cancer unit because I wanted to share my hope with them so they could in turn share it with some of the other patients that, that they saw on a daily basis. Another one of my messages is just 
you know, find the joy in your life. You know, yeah, we have this illness and it sucks and we have to take medications and we have to, you know, get ports and, and, and have chemo and, and it's, it's not fun. It really isn't. There's nothing fun about this illness or I can't imagine there's anything fun about any type of cancer, but you have a choice. You know, you can get busy living or you can get busy dying. And I chose to get busy living and, and find the joy in things. I'm a huge, huge sports fan. I started going to more football games and Ravens games. And when they played away, I would go on, on trips. And my Orioles, when they played away, my best friend lived in Detroit at the time. We'd go to Comerica Park. I've traveled to London. A friend of mine was the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, so I went to London to see his team play the Washington, well, they're now the Washington football team because of their name. But I just decided to travel and do things that made me happy. One of the things I did was during that time was, you know, I always wanted a luxury car. So I went out and I bought the big Mercedes SUV, and this was a beautiful car. And I loved it, and I drove it around. And this was when I was in near-complete remission. And when I went into remission, I said, what? And my, my friend Amanda tells me story much better than I do. She says that Bonnie found out she was going to have to continue to pay for that car. She thought she was going to leave this group and leave somebody with that car note. So now she has to continue to pay that car note on that expensive car. Well, needless to say, I did get rid of the Mercedes and just bought another Mercedes. I found joy in driving that car. It was so much fun. Um, you know, I just say you don't have to go and buy an expensive car or travel. Just find the joy, things that make you happy, whether it's your friends, your family, things you like to do. Take up a hobby that you always wanted to do or get involved with. Go go-kart racing, whatever it is. It makes you happy. Do that because no one knows when you're going to leave this earth. Um, yes, we have this horrible diagnosis, and it, you know sometimes people don't get through it. You know, I've lost people that I've gotten to know at University of Maryland. Um, they lost their their fight with multiple myeloma, and you know it, it knocks you down. So try to find the things that make you happy and do them. So hope, find the joy. And was there another message that you wanted to share or are you going to hold on to that one? I'll hold on to that one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure the other two will be very inspiring to the listeners who are listening to this podcast. As you're maybe familiar in Baltimore and in a lot of the southeastern states, the IMF has recently started the Empower Initiative, which is an initiative to remove barriers and care for the African-American community and outcomes in the disease. In your experience, what would you say are some of the barriers to healthcare access for African-American myeloma patients? Well, just getting out there of the messaging. Before I was diagnosed, you know, we tend to push things aside when it comes to our health. And, oh my gosh, we've got kids to take care of. We've got this job to take care of. We've got this home to take care of. We're taking care of everything and everybody around us except ourselves. For the older African Americans, you know, access to health care is just so important. And I think what the IMF is doing in getting the word out about a blood cancer that primarily strikes older African Americans, I think 
that it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that the organization is doing. And just education, educating people on what to look for and how to understand the diagnosis once you get it and where to go for help, more importantly. You know, I've, I've talked to a number of patients. I don't want to say my path has been easy because it hasn't. But I've talked to a number of patients who didn't have quite the support that I had. They had um, stumbled along the way. They've had two, three, four doctors, and that hasn't been good. So I think that education and knowing what to look for and knowing to listen to your body, I think IMF is getting all those messages out there, which I think is wonderful for everyone, not just African-American patients, but everyone. But they're also doing something that's going into neighborhoods that are primarily African-American. I know some of the patient navigators are doing that and just promoting the education of this illness. And I apologize, my dog. Oh, no worries. I can't hear your dog, but it's nice to know that you have a... What's your dog's name? <laughs> her name is Carson. I actually named her after the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals at that time. So <laughs> she's an old woman now, but her name's Carson and she's crazy. <laughs> well, it's good to have a companion, especially right now, being in the pandemic. How has that been for you, coping with just the isolation and living in this time? I can't lie. It was difficult. Of course, now getting out more and seeing people more, I'm fully vaxxed and I would encourage anyone listening to this to please get fully vaccinated so we can get back to life, especially if you have an illness like multiple myeloma. You certainly don't want to get COVID and have that be the source of a, a, another big illness. Last year, in 2020, we all got sent home from work on March 13th, and our CEO said, take it up for 30 days. So we did. You know, I grabbed, you know, a bunch of stuff, and files, and all that, and 30 days turned into now. Right. You know, we're, we're not going back to the office. You know, the majority, I would say 90% of the staff are still and will continue to work remotely. But those first couple of months, those first few months, were not good for me. I felt like I'm a social person. I like getting out and seeing friends and seeing family and being around people. And those were the things that you couldn't do. So there was that sense of isolation, and it was very difficult. I felt the walls closing in on me. I have not been to University of Maryland hospital. I didn't go at all last year and I haven't been this year just because I think, you know, because I'm doing well, you know, they don't want me in the hospital. They're taking care of really sick patients. In that group right now, so I've been doing telemedicine appointments with Dr. Badros, which has worked out fine. I go out and I do my blood work at LabCorp and then he gives me my results. But it was it was difficult to deal with that isolation. So I tried to talk to as many people, and I was working a lot during the isolation. And it was tough because you're at home alone. When you know my my field was community affairs, so I was being around a lot of people. So it it was difficult. I didn't really worry too much about my physical health at that time. I'm more worried about my mental health, but I started doing some yoga as much as I can. I'm not very flexible, so I started doing a little yoga just to keep my mental acuity sharp. 
Well, just to let you know, the IMF is actually starting a mind and body page on our website, and we're going to be providing some breath work and yoga exercises that are catered toward myeloma patients. So keep your eye out for that. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. I hope that I'll take advantage of it because it, it can only help. And people that are going through worried about multiple myeloma, worried about getting in to see their doctor, you know, worried about going to get their labs done, worried about test results. That could be really hard on your mental health as well. I always thought, you know, one day he's going to come back and say, oh, it's back. You know, every time I get a back pain or something like that and I get my labs done, you're always worried. You try to think positive, but there's still that little gremlin inside of you that wants to play with you. So the fact that you can do things for your mental health and the fact that the IMS is offering things for your mental health, how to breathe, how to relax, how to not always think the worst is coming. I think that's fantastic. And finally, I'm just going to wrap up. Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners that we did not talk about today? I would just tell listeners, listeners to be vigilant. You know, I tell my friends this all the time. You know your body. Your doctor can see you and you can get labs, but if your back is hurting or you feel tired, tell your doctor what's going on with yourself. Be vigilant. Call your doctor. Call your doctor's office. Make an appointment. Have them see you as quickly as possible. Stay on them. They're not necessarily going to come to you. You have to go to them. And you have to make sure if you can't remember things, write them down. And take that note or take that paper to your doctor when you see him or her. Say, listen, I have A, B, C, and D. What's wrong with me? You know, just stay on top of your health care because, again, docs are human as well. And, and they may say, oh, your back hurts. You're probably doing too much lifting. In reality, you've got this illness that starts in your bone marrow. And, and you may not even know it unless you feel vigilant about your health. So I say to people and I say to your listeners, please stay on top of your health. You have to take the lead. Your doctor's going to be there for you, hopefully, but you have to take the lead in your own health care. So that would be my stern talk. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great talk and everything from hope, find the joy and advocate for your health. All of those messages are going to resonate with people very much. You've been listening to a Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. To learn more about the IMF and myeloma, visit us at myeloma.org.